in 1 John chapter 2 tonight in our series called Follow Me. And we are going to pick up some steam. We've been going just two, three, four verses at a time. We're going to cover about ten tonight. And the theme is recognizing false teachers. Recognizing false teachers. Now, uh, to refresh your memory or to inform you for the first time, uh, this is the background, the context of First John, that uh, there was a false teaching going on in the church um, that is called uh, docetism. Now, this is... Um, this is a specific heresy or a false teaching, a bad doctrine, but it comes from a much larger foundation of uh, false teaching. If you were to say, what, what is the main issue that the New Testament church, even the first couple hundred years of Christianity, what did they face in terms of bad teaching? You would often hear the term Gnosticism. Any of you heard that term before? That, that's this this idea that material things, the world, the created world, is in and of itself just, it's pure evil. And so uh, they put all of their uh, trust in salvation and things uh, based on their knowledge of God and his holiness and not necessarily... Um, there's a lot of different forms of Gnosticism, but the idea is that they hated the physical they hated their physical bodies. They hated um, things on earth. And they just lived in this, this kind of ethereal, spiritual realm that only a few elite people could get to. Right? So there was kind of the cool church crowd and then everyone else. And you had to have this mystical knowledge to be part of that crew. Now, this um, form of Gnosticism, Docetism, essentially uh, can be summed up as the belief that Jesus only appeared. Okay, there's... A Greek word in here, at the the first half of doset, it is uh, seems to be. So appeared or seemed to be a human, but wasn't a human. You say, well, what what does that even mean, and what's the big deal uh, with that? Well, here's the big deal. They were saying because material things are evil, there's no way that a perfect holy God could ever become human. Otherwise he would then be evil. Like they couldn't understand how Jesus could be human without having a sin nature. And so in their minds they were, and in their teaching, they were saying to the church at Ephesus, who First John is writing to, they were saying Jesus didn't really die because he only appeared as a human, kind of like an angel. And therefore he didn't really shed his blood for your sins. And he didn't really raise from the dead because he wasn't really ever here. It was like an illusion. It was like an angelic figure. And of course, this takes all the power out of the cross because there was really no sacrifice. There's really no resurrection. There was, there was nothing. It was some illusion, so to speak. And so uh, this was a big deal. And this is what John is writing about um, because these people just could not believe that God could suffer uh, in any way, shape, or form. So with that being said, them, but all we're talking about uh, these false teachers and how to recognize them, but also what we face today. Uh, because I think in the uh, evangelical world, there's false teachings all over the place in churches all over this country that many of us have just become accustomed to. Some of us might even be believing them. Now, from a distance, most of us would say, now, I'm not going to fall into false teaching. Like I, I should be able to, to see it, right? Um, most of us don't think that we would ever uh, have an issue with it. We don't wake up thinking, I'm going to get deceived today. But 
We see in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 14, Paul saying that some of the apostles, they were false apostles, they were posing as real apostles, and he said, just like the devil masquerades as an angel of light. It is not necessarily going to be easy to recognize false teachers. The old devil, he's cunning, he's crafty. And so I think it's important because I know that, <laughs> I know that a lot of us, even hearing this topic, recognizing false teachers, some of us just want to check out immediately and say, eh, don't think that's a big issue in my life. I feel pretty solid with what, um, what I believe and what I'm hearing, and I, I don't think it's that big of an issue. Keep in mind, the church in Ephesus had Paul for three years, right? He goes on all these missionary journeys, spent most of his time at any one location was Ephesus. So they got good teaching. John, the one whom Jesus loved, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, more than anyone else, he had spent most of his ministry in Ephesus. And yet they're still struggling with false teaching. Because all the time that they're listening to Paul and John, they've got their brothers and sisters of the faith around them. And, and what he's going to tell us tonight is that the false teachers actually came out of this church. They weren't like coming from the outside saying, okay, now that John's gone, let's just give you some bad teaching. No, they were the ones you've been wrapping your arms around saying, this is my brother. We've been walking in the church together for years. From a distance, false teaching is easy to point out and say, something's fishy, something's wrong. But the reason false teaching is an issue is because false teachers build credibility in your life. They walk alongside you. And they oftentimes um, uh, put themselves in a position with you that makes it a lot more easy and vulnerable for you to believe in the false teaching. You guys ever watch like Dateline or uh, 48 Hours or one of those like murder mystery things? Like Tara and I, about a, six months ago, we, we watched quite a few of them. We just kind of got hooked on them for a bit where we saw time after time after time in these 60-minute uh, shows of real life, but he would get murder mysteries, the same sort of themes, that right off the bat, somebody would get themselves in a bad situation. Someone would trust someone they shouldn't. And as we're watching it, right, we're just saying, no, don't do that. Oh, this guy looks fishy. This guy, you don't do that, please. And the whole thing portrays this person just kind of nonchalant, like walking into a horrible relationship, trusting someone they shouldn't, sending money to someone they shouldn't, falling in love with someone they shouldn't. And then eventually, obviously, Something really bad happens. And all along the way, we are saying, as we're looking at that screen, saying, how could they not have known? And I tell Tara, and she probably doesn't like it, um, but I say over and over when we watch those things, I say, the best manipulators out there, and best not being good, the, the, those manipulators, they will affirm truth after truth after truth to build credibility, so then you'll believe the one lie. But that one lie might just derail you. You think about the evangelical church. Um, how often do you hear even taught any given Sunday things like, man, God is love. And we would all say, amen, that's biblical. And Jesus loves us. We'd say, amen, it's biblical. And, and how many of you, uh, uh, when you love someone, you don't just give them what they need, but you give them what they want. We say, yeah, sometimes we want to give people the desires of their heart, right? Like you can take that as, as biblical. Well, that's why God wants you to have a better car. And that's why God wants you, because he loves you, to have a better house. And then you get into, like, some crazy teaching, and you said, yeah, amen, yeah, amen, yeah, amen, on some basic truths, and then you find yourself believing something goofy that God never said in his word. 
And I say all that because I say, I think we're probably a little more vulnerable than we think. Um, And it's important as we walk through this that you let the Spirit of God and the Word of God sift your heart, sift your mind. Because whether you think you've fallen into some bad teaching or not, um, it's just a good uh, checkup, spiritual checkup for each one of us to say, man, what am I letting into my home? Uh, What am I listening to on my podcasts? What am I putting myself under teaching-wise? So let's jump in. We're going to stop five times tonight, but we're going to cover a good chunk of ground uh, tonight. If you've got a Bible, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. And John says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last, not last, sorry, typo, hour. Okay, let's stop after verse 18. First thing we see is that false teachers are a sign of the times. False teachers are a sign of the times. Let's explain what's going on here. So John says, children, again, just addressing the church, it is the last hour. Now we're not talking literal hour, otherwise (laughs) we wouldn't be here right now. Um, we're not talking even a short time, we're talking a distinct time. So this world and our history can essentially be broken up into what we call dispensations or um, uh, sections of time. You look at, you know, Adam to Noah and Noah to Abraham and Abraham to uh, Moses and Moses to David and then David to Ezra and then silence till Jesus comes and then This age, this period that we're in right now um, is known as the last times. Jesus and his ministry, his life, death, resurrection ushered in these end times. Um, This could last for a super long time, could end today. Uh, But we are in what we call the final hour, the last hour. So it's not necessarily a short time. It's a distinct time between the first and second coming of Jesus. He says that you guys have heard. So if they heard about this whole Antichrist thing, that means this was commonly taught. So maybe Paul talked about it. John probably talked about it. He knows you have heard that the last hour will include this whole Antichrist deal. And then he says both singular and plural Antichrist. Now, let's talk about the singular one. We hear about end times. If you read through Revelation, you read through um, different end times uh, passages in the Scripture, this idea of an Antichrist coming. Some of the things that Scripture tells us about the Antichrist is that there will be this main Antichrist who uh, gains political power, uh, that he will have spiritual authority over all the nations, that he will reign for a 42-month period, uh, that he will oppose God and Jesus greatly, uh, and he will usurp Jesus' position as, uh, or try to, as king. And he will uh, hate and persecute the church. So many would believe that this is the, the second half, uh, the three and a half years, the, the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. So those are just a, thing, a few things about the Antichrist, a.k.a. Um, the Bible calls it the, the man of sin, um, the beast. There's several titles for this Antichrist. But then you say... Okay, I'm kind of familiar with that, even though it's all a little bit weird. I'm not sure about some of the details. But what's he talking about, like, plural Antichrist? Well, John is saying there's one, right? There's one main one. You see that affirmed throughout Scripture. We don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. 
And then there's many. And who are the many? Well, based now context and the rest of this passage, we know the many are the false teachers in the church right now. Now, you say, but why is he calling them antichrist? Because they share the same traits, the same evil spirit, the same values, the same opposition to Christ as the antichrist will in the end times. That's what these false teachers are doing. It's just like a couple, a few weeks ago, I, um, is it bad to give like a personal story after you talk about what the Antichrist is like and then relate it to your own life? I don't know. I, I should have thought that one through. But a few weeks ago, um, a lot of big, that, I'll tell you what, we'll chat afterwards. There's a lot of, lot of, lot of viewpoints on that one. Um, so, a few weeks ago, we were at my parents' house uh, in, in Randolph, and uh, every six, seven weeks, we take Silas back home, and Grandma and Grandpa get to see him. And I can tell uh, my family loves being around him, but they kind of analyze him to see, how's he growing? How's he maturing? How's he changing? You know, when you don't see someone every day, you can see, uh, you know, those leaps and bounds that they make in maturity. And I could tell with Silas, all his silliness and his quirks and just the sentences coming out of his mouth, all these things, they could, they could tell he's changing. I said, you guys see that he's, he's maturing, right? And, and they say, yeah, yeah, he, he's definitely growing up. And I said, any of his silliness? or goofiness, the things he's been doing, any of it surprise you? And my aunt, without missing a beat, she said, no, because he's just like you. And, of course, nobody was surprised. Why? Because even though Silas has his own name, um, he's his own person, he acts like his daddy, he might even look like his daddy a little bit, he's got the same traits as his daddy, we share the same last name. He represents his daddy. And in the same way, uh, when we see false teachers in the church, and certainly in this context, they're representing uh, an antichrist that is to come. So, as we talk about false teaching, just in general, and you look at your life, knowing that most of the people in this room have probably come from other denominations, other churches even in Salina, what, what kind of theology, what kind of doctrine have you been exposed to? What... Um, do you know the differences between the denomination you're a part of and your former church compared to this one? Do you, do you know um, that you've even been exposed to any kind of false teaching? Because I think all of us, to some degree, probably have to say, like if we were honest. And so how do, we, how do we apply this? Well, before we move on, let me just say this. All throughout Scripture, when you see the theme of the last hour, the end times, you're going you're gonna to see, along with that, uh, two primary themes, and that's urgency and awareness. Awareness is the Bible saying you need to be aware that there are false teachers. There, there are going to be some rough times. They're going to try to lead you astray. Awareness will ha- make you, um, it'll give you some protection against bad teaching. Urgency will help you to put emphasis on the good teaching. Uh, so that you make the most of this life. There's urgency over and over and over. You read through Revelation, you say, how, how can I boil down some of what Revelation is saying about end times? And it's, Jesus is coming back, get ready. <laughs> Live your life for him, be prepared. Give your whole heart, soul, mind, strength, everything to him. Make an impact for his kingdom. There's urgency. You live with that mindset, you're not going to be sweating the small stuff in life as much. You're going to keep the main things, the main things. 
Verse 19. And they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might come, might become plain that they all are not of us. We'll stop again here. Second thing we see is that false teachers are often disguised as Christians. Look at these underlines here. Five times it says us. They went out from us. They were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They are not of us. Us, 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 us. This is where it gets kind of scary. This is where John is saying, listen, you would think that it would be obvious who the false teachers are, who these old Antichrist guys are. But it ain't because they look like you. (laughs) They act like you. They walk with you. They've been eating in your home with you. They help raise your children. They've been working with you, worshiping with you. But they didn't stay with you. Now, that's that's a crucial part. And I'll explain that in a second, why they didn't stay with you. But John's saying because they didn't stay with you. That tells you all you need to know. They start teaching something goofy and then they leave. That should be a big red flag. That should be a big red flag. And you say, okay. So let's get real. How do I know if the false teachers look like me and are referring to how do I know how do I know you ain't a false teacher and referring to me? Or any other pastor here at Crosspoint. Well, I um, I'll say this: every single teacher that you will ever sit under will have flaws. Even in our theology, you think about the maturation, sanctification, our minds are growing and understanding God more and more and more and more. What I taught five years ago isn't always exactly what I would teach in some cases today. Now, the main things, yes, that's never changed. But like your understanding of God as you grow, what a 65-year-old preacher would preach is probably different than what he would have preached at 20. And so there's going to be flaws with everyone. But there's a huge, huge, huge difference between a pastor or a teacher in error and a false teacher. And here's why. I would simply ask this. When they're wrong or in error, do they repent? Do they receive correction? Do they turn from their their bad teaching? How do they handle that? Are they so prideful that they, they just can't even believe they could ever be wrong? You say, well, why in the world do you think these guys who were with them and they were starting to teach some bad stuff are no longer with them? i got to believe part of it is because they couldn't receive correction. Because John's obviously telling them, y'all are wrong. Probably another one or two or three other people in the church have stood up and said, maybe this isn't quite right, what you guys are teaching. And boom, they, they're gone. There's pastors all over this country who can preach a solid message, but man, they bounce from church to church to church because whenever someone tries to tell them, hey, maybe you're not quite right in this area, they say, how dare you? How dare you challenge me? That's a scary place to be. 
But if a pastor in error repents, if he receives correction, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. I um, I know firsthand that it's scary <laughs> knowing that most of these false teachers come from within the church uh, because what most of us do is let our guard down and what we let into our homes. Um, we had... We were in a church uh, up in the hills of Virginia, and these people knew the Bible in and out. Man, they had grown up in it. They were just, it was just, it was just a Christian culture. I don't know how else to explain it, but they, they loved the Lord. And one time, uh, this gal from a very reputable family in the church, she came to Sunday school. And we're all sitting around, and the pastor was teaching some stuff. And she says, hey, you know, um, she was acting kind of funny. And she says, you know that, that uh, youth camp that we went to a couple of weeks ago? Uh, the singer of the band, God spoke to me and said, I'm going to marry him. Well, the singer of the band was already married. She was a sponsor on the trip. She'd been solid. She was a public school teacher. Like, she was a solid, solid gal, mid-20s. We immediately were like, uh-uh. This ain't quite right. Never had she ever said anything weird like that. I mean, like she was just complete opposite as to what we'd known her. Over the next couple of days, she quits her job as a public school teacher. She goes to Applebee's every night to minister and to reach the lost by dressing in some odd clothes and going late at night to the bar there at Applebee's and just talking to men to the point to where the police have to be called on her. Her whole family's worried about her. She's got all kinds of sketchy things happening. We didn't know what to do with her. We finally, after talking to her over and over, we said, what happened? And she said, well, I was staying up late one night, and I listened to um, this televangelist who, who was explaining about this whole salvation thing and this gift of tongues, and, and they've got to be included, whatever. And I had this experience, and, and from that spiritual experience, that's been my awakening. And it's just crazy, crazy, crazy. And we prayed over her. We walked with her. A couple weeks later, um, she had basically come to her senses, for lack of better terms, got her job back at the school, and went back to her normal life. And we just looked back and said, what was that? What was that? It was just odd. As as quick as it came, uh, it was gone. But guess what? If I mentioned the name of that televangelist, almost all of you would probably recognize him and say, oh, yeah. I know all about him. I listen to him. My grandma loves him. My grandma don't even come to church anymore because she just stays home and listens to him. And yet it wrecked this girl's world because she got into a little bit of bad teaching. So what I want to do here um, is uh, maybe point out a few common false teachings that I think you can expect to see here in America. Um, let's, just, let's just walk through three of them real quick. Just to, to open your mind, some of you are going to know uh, about these already. The first one that I'll mention is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. This is also known as the uh, health and wealth gospel or the name it and claim it gospel. It's, it's the idea that God cares more about your the, that the pri- health and wealth, your physical well-being, than he does even his own glory. The, that the primary... Uh, reason for the Christian faith is that you have a better life on earth and that you see God not just as uh, someone who, who can powerfully transform you from the inside out, but can powerfully transform your situation and just make life better. 
It's marked by several things. It's marked by a lack of repentance. Now, this is, if you said, what's kind of the, the typical uh, heresy of the televangelist thing? Not that all televangelists are bad. Like, there's some solid ones out there, certainly. But what's kind of the, the common bad teaching? It, it's this. Um, let me just give you a, kind of a, a litmus test. If, if you're listening to teaching <laughs> that always tells you to sow a seed of faith <laughs> financially, anywhere in that message, to their ministry or to them, more than they talk about the gospel, <laughs> probably a red flag. Probably a red flag. Um, but how many times will you hear about this health and wealth, this, hey, God's got a better life for you, victory in life. Um, how many times do they talk about repentance? They, they don't generally talk about repentance. The cross. They don't talk about the cross of Christ. They don't do things to offend you. Uh, they misuse words like victory and life, and they apply it not to uh, heaven or even Jesus having victory over death or even victory over sin, but they want victory in your health and wealth. Now, let me make it clear. Uh, we certainly, I would hope, believe that God can physically heal you, that he can change your circumstances, that these things can get better, but we also know that's not the purpose of Christianity. You see, these people come to the cross in order to keep their love for the world and the things of the world and then add a little bit of Jesus' power onto building their own kingdom. But the cross is we're coming to lay down our own kingdom, lay down our own life. We're going to give up everything and we're going to experience a life that is supernatural in Christ. Not focused on this world, but of heaven to come. What does it prey on? It preys on our worldly desires. You want stuff? You want a better life? They know you do. They know you do. Got to watch out for the prosperity gospel. The second one, many of you are familiar with as well, uh, legalism. This is one that has plagued us for a long time. It's marked by Jesus plus anything. Grace plus anything. The idea is more than simply... You can be saved, but you got to do something more than simply receive God's grace, placing your faith in Jesus. You got to uh, be baptized in order to be saved. You've got to speak in tongues, some funny language, in order to be saved. You've got to follow the rules in order to be saved. And so it's Jesus plus you fill in the blank. They add to the gospel. If you ever add to grace, if you ever add to the gospel, saying you can't be saved unless you do X, Y, and Z, you're probably walking into a false teaching. Now, it's also marked by a lack of true joy (laughs) and spiritual exhaustion. When you're around people who are legalists, they don't find rest in Christ. They find a deceived rest in their good deeds. And how many good deeds are enough to make God happy? Well, none of us will ever know, right? Because we can't get there on our own. Only Christ can do that for us. And so you find people burnt out. You find people worn out. They just don't know why they're doing it, but they're in this, um, this rules-based world. Now, keep in mind, we're not saying rules are bad. Legalism is when rules are tied to your salvation. Does that make sense? And it preys on our insecurities, 
If someone's telling you, you got to do this, 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 and this, and you're like, yeah, I probably do, because human nature says, I got to be perfect. I got to work my way up. Um, I got I to do everything right. It'll prey on your insecurities, your guilt for messing up. And of course, emotional and spiritual bondage. People have uh, a way of controlling people by making them feel bad. Some of you maybe grew up in a church that was a little bit legalistic. You don't have to raise hands, but I think some of us have been there. And the third one, I would say, is super common. This isn't an exhaustive list by any means. Is universalism. The idea that all roads lead to heaven. That there's no way any of us, whether we follow uh, Buddha or one of the 300 million Hindu gods or um, Jesus himself, there's no way any of us could go to any kind of hell that we're all going to follow our own path and make it to heaven. This is um, a part of, I, I think, an overall religion that is growing like crazy, what we'd call postmodernism. Some would say, well, that's not a religion. Um, it is its own religion. Postmodernism is the idea that whatever is right for you spiritually is, is cool. Like it's good. It's all going to end good. All roads lead to heaven. It's marked by a bunch of blind guides, people who are just directed in all kinds of different ways. Even then he says everyone can Jesus is both inclusive and exclusive. He's inclusive in that he says, everyone can come to me. He's exclusive in that he says, there's only one way to heaven and it's through me. You can't mess with that. You don't get to make up your own rules. It's marked by religious unity. Hey, man, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't want to say one religion is better than another. So we're just going to say they're all awesome. And it preys on political correctness. Again, can't say that someone's wrong because that wouldn't be very good. And the rejection of objective truth. The idea that there's a God who says, this is the way it is. Obey. Man, our culture hates that. Our culture says, no, that's not very nice. You're not taking into consideration my emotions. And God says, I'm God, you're not. So let me, let me simply challenge you. Uh, what are you letting into your home? <laughs> Do some research. Don't be naive. Uh, just because one of your friends says they listen to this podcast doesn't mean that like, it's automatically great teaching. Do some research um, and be, be bold enough to when you see people around you listening to things, you're like, eh, that's kind of iffy. Talk to them about it. Don't just condemn them, but share. Hey, whoa, I got some concerns about this. Let's, let's talk about what this person's teaching. Verse 20 and 21. We'll speed it up now. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Third thing we see is how to know the truth. Two things pointed out. He says, you have been anointed. Now, in the Old Testament, this would just mean uh, set apart. But we know Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to believers. And he's talking to believers. He's saying, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of you. So when you see anointed, what he's saying is, you got the Holy Spirit. By the Holy One, uh, we're talking about Jesus. Some would argue, well, is he talking about the Father? It don't really matter. But remember, even the demons saw Jesus come and saying, that's the Holy One of God. They called Jesus the Holy One over and over and over in his ministry on earth. Not just demons, but people. So Jesus 
tells us he's sending the Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit, and we all have knowledge. Now, knowledge um, is, is twofold. It's the Bible, but keep in mind, in their context, they're not opening their English Standard Version Bible like we are, right? Um, as they're receiving this, part of the New Testament's not even written yet. They are seeing the Old Testament and what they know uh, of what we know as the New Testament, but also knowledge is their experience. Many of them saw knowledge of Jesus. They, they are aware of um, who Jesus is. They have knowledge of a legit testimony of not only his life, but their life being changed by him. So the two-edged sword that you and I have to know the truth, to know um, what true good teaching is, is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. They complement each other. Why? Because what we know about the Holy Spirit comes from where? The Bible. There's a lot of people who like to have this incredibly uh, again, ethereal, just spiritual experience with the Holy Spirit, and they kind of make the Holy Spirit whatever they want. And sometimes you get skeptical because you're like, you can't just, I'm not saying you can't experience the Holy Spirit in, in incredible ways, because you can't. But you can't just make him whatever you want. He's not just an ooey-gooey feeling. We know what we know about the Holy Spirit, not because of just our experience, but what the Bible tells us. And if someone's telling you something about the Holy Spirit that you don't see backed up in the Word of God, red flag. On the flip side, what we know about the Word of God is illuminated by what? The Holy Spirit. People try to read the Bible all the time, and they don't, it don't make sense at all. <laughs> They say, this makes no sense at all. Of course, prior to having the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're going to read it and really have a hard time understanding not just what's happening, but the the spiritual truths of it. Um, so they go together. They work together. They complement each other. you got to be careful because some will use the Spirit um, without the Word. For instance, when we're in Utah, uh, if you asked a Mormon how they knew that they were saved, they would say that they had a burning in the bosom. And this was essentially a spiritual experience where they felt something inside that affirmed that they were good with God. So they called it the burning of the bosom. That's Every time you say, how do you know? You got this kind of funny teaching, this Joseph Smith guy. How do you all know? Got a burning in the bosom. Is that indigestion? What is that? A burning in the bosom? I don't, I've never had a burning in the bosom. I, mean, I don't even 100% know what you're referring to when you say bosom. But like you just, what does that mean? And then other people say, well, I'm going to take the word of God, but, but there's no Holy Spirit involved. You've got to be careful on that too. So many of the false teachings you will come across in life were taken from one or two passages in the Bible that are cherry-picked out of context, and people twist them into what they want them to be. And so you've got to have the Holy Spirit to say, mm, something ain't quite right. I don't think you can just make the Bible into what you want it to be either. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. You say, well, if there seems to be so much room for error, how can we know that even the Spirit of God in us, which some of us, let's be honest, struggle to even know what to do with, <laughs> and the Bible, which some of us struggle to know much about, how can, I, how can I be protected against some false teaching? But John's saying, I want to encourage you. You don't have to question. You don't have to let these false teachers rattle your faith when God says that his spirit and his word are enough. His spirit and his word are enough. 
And our goal isn't to find something outside of the Spirit and the Word. Our goal is to go deeper in the Spirit and the Word. You know, um, you know the old saying, the illustration that's often given. Uh, how, how do you know, um, you know, a fake dollar? You study the real one, right? And so when you focus on the real one, then everything that's not uh, the real one is fake, right? Because we could chase false doctrines around all the time, and we still wouldn't cover all of them. There's so many out there. So you just got to know the gospel, right? But as I studied this a little bit more, because I thought, yeah, that illustration is good, but I want to know a little bit more about it. I, I, I dove in, and I saw um, what seemed to be a government website give a few tips uh, about checking out a fake dollar. And so I'll just rifle them off for you and show you some spiritual symbolism in it. The first one is they tell you to feel the texture, that fake money's got a little bit uh, of a... Uh, um, different texture than the real thing. The quality, the texture is a little bit different. Um, I think spiritually this is, this goes back to that Holy Spirit discernment, that little, mm, something don't seem quite right. The second thing they tell you to do is check the quality of the printed ink, that, that if it's a forged, if it's a fake dollar, that the ink will be just a little bit different. It'll either be just a little bit runny, the quality of it will be a little different. It won't be like the real ink. And I would simply say spiritually, that means when you hear something that seems like false teaching or seems like good teaching, either one, it better match up what the Bible says. If the teaching don't match the Bible, it ain't good. It ain't good. And third, they say you got to align it with another bill. So to have them side by side, symbolically, I would say, you know what you do uh, with something you think might be some false teaching, you, you take it not only to the Word and the Spirit, but look at historical Christian doctrine. You can learn a lot over the last 2,000 years of church history as to what has been accepted from the very beginning as proper doctrine and all the heresies that have attacked true good teaching over the years. And last but not least, it says, uh, that you need to look for inner markings. It said uh, that you need to see what's inside, and you do this by holding up to the light, that there's all kinds of little markings and whatnot in a dollar bill um, that, that's hard to recreate. And I would say, <laughs> you're skeptical about someone's teaching? Look at the inner fruit. Look at um, you know their own life. Let me give you an example. If you hear someone asking you for money to sow seeds into their ministry and seeds of faith, and you're thinking, that doesn't feel quite right. And then you see that they've got a million-dollar jet, um, and their private life is a little eh, and it's very healthy and wealthy. <laughs> Everything they're promising you, you see the fruit doesn't match up. What's going on on the inside is showing that they're teaching it didn't produce anything good in their own life. Probably ain't going to produce much in my life. Go deeper. Go deeper in Scripture and go deeper with the Spirit. And keep in mind, what Jesus tells us, the Spirit will teach us. Luke chapter 12, the Spirit will teach you. Gospel of John, the Spirit will teach you. The Spirit isn't just a thing. It's a person. Like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It can teach you. Verse 22 and 23, 
Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Verses 24 and 25. And let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Fourth thing we see. False teaching. The essentials versus the non-essentials. Now, two things that he says there are issues with. He says, this Antichrist, these false teachers, they're liars because they deny that Jesus is the Christ. They're saying, Jesus isn't the Messiah, right? He, He wasn't real, a physical human being, so he didn't die on a cross for us. He didn't atone for sins. He wasn't resurrected from the dead. He can't fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. He's not the Messiah. That's a big deal. And number two, he says that they deny the Father and the Son. This is an attack on the Trinity, He's saying, so if Jesus wasn't really a human, he didn't really die for us, he's not the Messiah, he's not God, he's lesser than God. The Father and the Son aren't the same. This is what we would call attacks on the essentials of Christianity. These are a big deal. You see, all false teaching is serious, but there's certainly different levels of severity, right? There's some that says, you're part of the family? And then there's others that say, You can't be part of the family. There's in-house arguments and there's out-of-house arguments or discussions. And you've got to know what's essential to calling yourself a Christian, belief-wise, compared to things that, man, maybe the Bible's not super clear on this. Because on the essentials, the Bible is clear. On some of the non-essentials, things that are important, but they don't change whether you're part of the family. They don't change whether you're saved or not. It's good to know what's essential and what's not. Here's some uh, essentials for you. And this is, again, not an exhaustive list, but it's it's just um, a good place to begin. Number one, monotheism. The idea that there's only one God, right? There's only one God. That's a big deal. Sometimes we forget about that, but that um, separates us from a whole bunch of other religions. Number two, The Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that there is one God. He has shown himself in three different persons. One of them is not greater than the others. They are all God. This is how God has shown himself. There is a a bit of mystery uh, and beauty in the Trinity that we just will never fully understand. But nonetheless, it is. Number three, the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. The Jesus is fully God. But on earth, he was fully man. They were saying, I think he's God, but he wasn't man. Others throughout history have said, well, he was a man, but he wasn't God. Or even heresies like when he died, he, um, it, he, it means that God died. Well, if you mean that God um, died in the sense that Jesus is God, you, you could say on one hand, well, yeah, Jesus died, but there was never a time where Jesus ceased to be God. Like God can't cease. He, he's, he can't cease. He is God. He's everlasting. So it's important to know. As Andy says, uh, Jesus was the first 100% man, 100% God uh, person that ever 
lived. And, and then here's five quick ones, and I won't go deep into them. Um, these are from the Protestant Reformation, what we call the five solas, Latin terms uh, for Scripture alone, that the Bible is our uh, highest authority. It is over us. We don't speak into it. It speaks into us. We don't have a bunch of other books that we say, hey, these are our sacred scriptures, just the Bible alone. Faith alone. That means that we are saved by faith alone, not baptism, not um, good deeds, uh, just faith alone. And how? By grace alone. It is the grace of God, the free gift of God Uh, His grace on us, what he has done, not what we could do for him that has saved us. In Christ alone, it's only Jesus that's going to save you. No one else, not yourself, not your grandma, not Buddha, nobody else. Christ alone and to the glory of God alone, that this is what life is all about. Not your glory, his glory. What are some non-essentials? Non-essentials, again, not an exhaustive list, but some things that are important for you to know. These are in-house discussions. So those other ones, if you disagree on, if you're like, you know, don't believe in the Trinity. Love you, but we can't be part of the same family. I don't know if Jesus is God and man. Love you. Let's talk. But we're not part of the same family. These are some things that are important. They're good. Let's talk about them. But if we sit on opposite sides of the fence, we can still be part of the same family. It is good. Uh, women in leadership. You got all kinds of evangelical churches say women can be pastors, women can't be pastors. Um, man, good discussion to have. But regardless of where you sit, it doesn't change your salvation. Gifts of the Spirit. All those spiritual gifts we have in Scripture are gifts of the Spirit. But some take a few and exalt them, like prophecy and speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. And and, um, and they uh, they emphasize them in ways that maybe um, some would say are healthy, some would say unhealthy. Now, keep in mind, this, is, this non-essential can jump into essential land real quick. If they say that you got to have one of these gifts, specifically the gift of tongues, to be saved, all of a sudden it just went from non-essential to essential. You're messing with salvation. Calvinism versus Arminianism. Not even going to get into that one, but that's an in-house discussion. And end times... We know there's some basics that we all have to agree on. Jesus is coming back. Um, We should be uh, not only living urgently and aware, um, and and there's lots of pieces that Bible makes clear are going to happen, but as to when, and and this is going to happen here, and this is going to happen here, man, there's a whole bunch of views, and we can have that discussion, and it's good, and we should, and we need to study it. But if we sit, you think this is going to happen before this, and this might happen before that in my mind, it's okay. We can still be part of the same family. Know the essentials. Know the essentials. Last but not least, we just got a couple minutes. Uh, so we'll make this quick. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Last thing we see, abiding or living in Christ, your closeness to him on a daily basis is protection against these things. You don't have to leave here insecure tonight. You don't have to say, I'll never know the Bible and never be connected enough to the Holy Spirit to be able to discern bad teaching. He's saying, start 
by just living in me. He says a few things here. He says, I'm writing to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Again, reiterating, they will, people will try to deceive you. And then he says, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Again, you don't have to be insecure. You got the good stuff. You got the good stuff. They shouldn't be judging you. If anything, it should be the other way around. Like Paul said, we don't need another gospel. If anyone comes preaching a different gospel to you, be aware. And then it ends by saying, abide in him. Verse 24 and 25, which we didn't park on very long, uh, they mention the same thing. Abide in him. Stay on track. I mean, let me ask you this as we start to wrap this up tonight. You, you might even feel insecure about that. You might say, how do I even know that I'm abiding in Christ? Take stock of your life. Are you repenting? Meaning, are you finding that as you're digging into God's word, as you're hearing good teaching, that your mind is being changed, that you're turning from sin and that you're uh, following him? Are you maturing? Are you uh, stagnant? Or are you growing? Do you find yourself obeying him? Do you find yourself more and more overwhelmed by God's goodness as you're in his presence? Things that only happen when you abide in him. Are you making an impact in expanding his kingdom? Are you experiencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the goodness, the kindness, the joy, the peace, the comfort? These are things that happen when you abide in him, when you live in him. And there's not one of us that can do this perfectly. Um, But he welcomes us in every day. Because here's the deal. If you find that these things aren't happening, you say, man, I don't know if I'm under good teaching, bad teaching. Listen, if you're not abiding, there's going to be either one of two issues. Either you got some bad teaching coming in or you got a bad recipient of good teaching. And I don't know which one it is. I'll simply say this um, as we um, as we close out. False teaching is often the easiest to believe. If it wasn't, none of us would ever fall into it. It's easy because it gives us the easy way out. Because it takes the path of least resistance. Because it's the wide road that Jesus says many will follow. It pleases your ears. It pleases your eyes. It pleases the desires of your sinful heart. But good teaching is often the hardest, yet most fruitful, to place your faith in. It's the narrow road. And ultimately what these false teachers wanted to do back then is to take the power out of the cross. And I want to encourage you tonight, whether it's Crosspoint, whether it's another church, whether it's your podcasts, whatever it is, put yourself under good gospel-centered teaching that puts the power back in the cross. It doesn't take it out. It says the gospel is the only way. That Jesus is the only way. This isn't about us, this is about him. You're going to find life in that. You're going, to find, um, you're going to find it's good teaching. When the power is put back on the cross, and he's the only way, 
that's a good place to be and to put yourself under. So let's do that. Let's strive for that. Let's pray.